God's word again, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Let's read the text again together. And remember last week, we focused in on the resurrection. This week, we're focusing in on the rapture. But let's read the text together. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, last week, focusing in on the resurrection, we saw in the word of God where we go when we pass away. We saw the believer and the unbeliever, when they pass away, their physical body goes back to the earth. After man's sin, God said, you came from the dust, to the dust you will return. So the physical body goes back to the earth. The spirit, though, goes to the Lord for an initial judgment. Those that know the Lord, their spirit, their soul goes to the presence of the Lord. It seems that they have a type of body given to them before the resurrection. Those that reject the Lord go to a place called hell or sheol where they wait the judgment, where they wait the white throne judgment. And of course, their name's not written in the book of life. They really await an eternity and are in a place of eternity under the wrath of God. And uh, the Lord wants no one to go there. That's why he went to the cross to make a way of salvation. We also saw, though, that when the Lord comes back, those that are in Christ will come back with them in spirit. Their bodies will be resurrected and changed. Those that are alive and remain, we'll see this morning, will be caught up as well and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And that's an event that is called the rapture, really the resurrection and the rapture going hand in hand. With all this, remember, we are told to comfort one another, that we have a living hope that we are to stand in, that we are to rejoice in. So this morning, again, we'll focus in on the rapture side of this. We're going to consider the fact that there's a lot of ignorance concerning the rapture and end times events, and we're going to see biblically that a lot of it is willful ignorance, where there is a willingness to forget, a willful shunning of the word of God, where there are many that say, listen, he's not coming, things are as they have always been, and they willfully forget the prophets, they willfully forget the flood, they willfully forget, again, prophecy fulfilled in times past, prophecy being fulfilled today, we don't want to be in that place. Because again, we'll talk about ignorance again this morning. And there's a willful ignorance that a lot of people have concerning these things. We'll also see that the coming of the Lord isn't just a singular event, but it's a series of events. It happens over a span of time. And we'll talk about the rapture of the church, which we should always be looking for, which I personally lean towards being the beginning of these series of events. But regardless of when that happens, we should always be looking. We should always be ready. And then we're going to close with a response to where he says, therefore, therefore be comforted, therefore have a living hope, therefore comfort one another. But there's a whole lot of other therefores in the scripture. And we'll touch on some of those in our study and then to the end, uh, I'm gonna give you a list of, of seven things and there's a lot more therefores 
what we should be doing with this in mind. This isn't just information. It's not given so we just know something, but there should be a response to it. It should affect the way that we are living and so forth. So we don't want to lose sight of that. And so, again, notice verse 13 again. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And so this ignorance is about those that have passed away that know the Lord. He's also saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about the resurrection, the rapture, the comfort, the hope that we have in the Lord, and so forth. Now, last week we talked about ignorance. And again, remember we saw that ignorance is not uh, stupidity, but ignorance instead is a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. And we see in the Word of God that we are called not to be an ignorant people concerning what is wise. We're not to be ignorant concerning the Scriptures, but we are to be ignorant concerning the practice of evil. Romans sixteen nineteen. He says, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple or ignorant concerning evil. And we know that wisdom, the wisdom of what is good is found in the scriptures. It's found when we are abiding in the word of truth, when we're studying to show ourselves approved, when we're drinking in God's word, when we're asking God to renew our minds through the scriptures to change the way that we think, where we get a biblical worldview. A biblical mindset. Jesus said in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So again, we have a call to abide in the word of God if we're followers of the Lord. It's part of walking in our salvation. I want to abide in the scriptures. I want to get in the word of God. And the more you get in the word of God, the more you're going to get to know the God of the world. You want to get to know Jesus more? Get into the word of God. And when we do this, wonderful things happen. Good things unfold in our spirit and our walk with Christ when we are abiding in the word of God. Because next in verse 32 of John 8, Jesus said, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Isn't that good news? Makes us free. It gets us freed up from things like worry and anxiety and bondages and sin and so forth. Listen, at times it's a process and so forth, and some days we're walking in freedom, and the next day we get lassoed right back into worry and bondage or whatever. But again, let's get in the truth. Part of the truth, confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. Cast your cares upon him, knowing he cares from you. To walk in that freedom, bound in the Lord. To walk in that freedom, knowing I'm not under the law. I'm under the grace of God. I'm called to abound in him. So we want to absolutely be wise in what is good. We don't want to be ignorant when it comes to what is good in the scripture. Because last week, again, we saw Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. I also reject you from being priests for me because you have forgotten the law of God. I will also forget your children. So again, when we shun knowledge, when we shun the scripture, destruction comes. When we embrace it, when we drink it in, when we say, I want to walk in it, freedom comes. And it's interesting because Hosea was written in the Old Testament to Israel when they were in a season of apostasy, a, a season of, you know, a, of, of, of a state that was backslidden and so forth. And he says here, you've rejected knowledge. It's a picture of them willfully being ignorant, willfully forgetting the word of God while having a title that they were followers of God. And what's very interesting when it comes to the coming of the Lord, when it comes to the rapture, when it comes to end times events, the Bible prophesied that there would be many people who in like manner would willfully forget 
the things of God. And we're not just talking about those with the title of non-Christian, but this also includes many who say that they are Christians. Now, whether they are or not, only the Lord knows that, but we do read about a false church at the end of the age and many false teachers and many people having a form of godliness but denying the power and people mocking the coming of the Lord and willfully forgetting the word of truth. And again, this is all prophetic and we don't want to be such a people. We want to be a people that understand these things. We want to be a people that walk in these things. There's comfort in these things. There's hope in these things. And absolutely, when we know about the coming of the Lord, it affects the way that we are living today. It stirs us to be about his business. And again, it also raises up a great hope on some days more than others that the time is coming where the Lord's coming for his church and he's going to wipe away every tear and all this pain and sorrow and so forth. That should also be a factor that stirs us to be about his business. But notice with me, again, so you know that I'm not just making this up or it's my opinion. In 2 Peter chapter 3, this, this text speaks to this very clearly. In first, or 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9, I want to read through this and stop a few times just with a little commentary, but it speaks for itself. It says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, and both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So again, he's wanting to stir up their minds. He wants them to be knowledgeable. He says that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So again, don't be ignorant. Be mindful. Be mindful of the word of God. Be mindful of the prophets of God. Be mindful of the apostles who the Lord used to write the New Testament and so forth. Verse 3 says, knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last day. Notice here, walking according to their own lusts. So they're not walking according to the word of God or the spirit of God, but their own lusts. Temporary pleasures, carnal things, building an earthly kingdom, thinking it's going to last forever and so forth. Verse 4, he says, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5 says, for this they willfully forget. So again, this is willful ignorance. They willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 80 says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to be willfully ignorant. We don't want to willfully forget the things of God, prophecy, the fact that Jesus said he is coming soon. We don't want to fall into this place of mocking the second coming of Christ. And I hear a lot of mocking, a lot of scoffing when it comes to the second coming of Christ. There's a lot, even within what's called the church today, that mock the idea of the rapture, though we'll see this morning that this is completely biblical. They mock the idea of even an end-time conclusion of this dispensation. And it seems there's just a growing focus on social justice and issues and so forth and thinking the church's first call and priority is to fix everything here. 
going about it in natural means. And nothing gets fixed outside until it first gets fixed on the inside. And that's why the priority always has to be preaching the gospel to whatever, whatever culture, whatever people group we are dealing with, preaching the gospel first and foremost. But it seems that there's a great abandonment of that. Just instead of, 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 of again, a kingdom mentality to an earthly mentality, and many people willfully forgetting these things, putting God's word on the side, saying, well, I follow Jesus, but I despise the word of truth. We don't want to be such a people. Again, there's many scriptures that talk about this in a prophetic sense. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, it talks about in the last days, perilous times, having a form of godliness and denying the power. And if you want to deny the word, if you want to deny the second coming of Christ, if you want to deny the rapture, if you want to deny the fact Jesus said to watch and always be looking and be ready, you're going to be denying the power of God. In 2 Thessalonians 2.11, it talks about individuals that don't love the truth. They don't believe the truth, but instead they seek after pleasure and unrighteousness and God gives them over to strong delusions, gives them over to their heart and to their mind. And then, of course, 2 Timothy chapter 4 we get the command to preach the word, and it talks about a time when men won't endure sound doctrine, but instead they'll heap up teachers that tickle their ears, again, according to their own lust. And this is speaking about within Christianum, individuals that say, we don't want to hear God's word taught. We don't want to hear about the rapture, the resurrection. We don't want to hear about judgment. We don't want to hear about the cross and sin and so forth. Just come and tickle our ears and th say things that just appease to our earthly agenda here basically pursuing the same things they did before they knew christ or you know what professed to know him but in a cleaned up version of it and god has so much more for us than that in fact jesus said when he was asked the question what would be the sign of his return and the end of the age and we'll touch more on this here in a little bit but and that all of the discourse the main thing he puts an emphasis in on is deception he said, take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And I believe there's a great deception about the end times events and the time that we are living in. And it just starts with people saying, well, he's not coming back. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to be concerned with prophecy and so forth. And yet the scripture says, don't be ignorant concerning these things. Always watching, always be looking. Always be ready. Listen, don't get your heart hardened if you were a follower of Christ in the 70s and you read the late great planet Earth and Jesus still hasn't returned and you're like, he's never coming back and you start kicking rocks. And I know a lot of people in that place, a lot of seasoned Christians. And part of it comes with people jumping on, you know, little things that end up not being true and naming dates and things that we're not called to do. But don't let those things harden your heart. Jesus said to watch and to be ready, to always be looking, not to be willfully ignorant. Again, to know the Lord is coming soon. Can we say amen to that amen. this morning? Because we've been warned about deception abounding. And I guarantee you that the enemy of your soul does not want you to be versed concerning the coming of the Lord. He does not want you to be mindful of the coming of the Lord. He wants us to be fixated on temporary passing pleasures because he knows when we're in that place, we get inept and ineffective for the kingdom of God. Notice verse 14. He says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him 
those who sleep in Jesus. And listen, all of this revolves around the gospel, the resurrection, the rapture. It all revolves around believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which is entrusting your life to him, believing he died for your sins, he rose from the grave to give you victory over sin and death and Satan. Really, your whole soul, your whole eternity revolves around faith in Jesus Christ. You want to be part of this first resurrection? You want to know that you know when the Lord comes back, you're going to be raptured with the church. You want a real comfort. You want a real hope versus a false hope, a false comfort, which we'll talk about next week, Lord willing. When the Antichrist comes, there'll be a false safety, a false peace. Then it talks about sudden destruction. If you want to be part of the first resurrection, know you have eternal life, know you'll be raptured, know you have a real hope, then it all centers around having real faith in Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord and Savior? Can you say amen to that? Listen, if he's not your Lord, today's the day of salvation. Today, the Lord wants to birth real hope in your life. He wants to seal you with the Holy Spirit of God. He wants to baptize you with the Spirit of God and empower you, give you a hunger for the Scriptures. He wants to begin a good work in you. He wants to move you from a place of wrath to a place of grace. John 3, 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Isn't that good news? But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Why? Because he's in his sin. And if we're in our sin, we're under the wrath and the judgment of God. God is a just judge. Listen, don't believe those lies that says, you know what? God's fine with sin. He's not. He went to the cross to atone for it. Sin separates us from the living God. The good news is that Christ came to atone. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He died in the place of sinners. And as the wages of sin is death, Christ defeated death when he rose from the grave. That when we put a faith in him, we go from being in sin and under wrath, under condemnation, under judgment, to being in this place of under grace, being forgiven, being washed through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That is the good news. And so if we believe Jesus died and rose again, He says, even so, God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. And we talked about this last week. That again, the body goes back to the earth. The spirit goes to be with the Lord. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. And so to be absent from the body, we saw there in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, is to be in the presence of the Lord. Remember on the thief on the cross, the Lord said, truly this day you'll be with me in paradise. And yes, his body was taken off that cross and went down to the earth, the thief's body. But his spirit went to be with the Lord. And even the Lord's body was buried, but three days later, he rose from the grave because he's the first fruit of the resurrection. And in like manner, when he comes back, the dead in Christ, their bodies will be resurrected. Their spirit will come back with the Lord. Their body will be transformed. It will be a glorious body with no more backaches, no more migraines, No more knee replacements, no more cancer, no more flu, no more sorrow, no more pain. It will be a glorious body. It will be much like and probably maybe exactly like Jesus' resurrected body where you could touch him, you could feel him. He sat down and he ate. He also ascended. He could walk through a wall. It was a spiritual, physical type body combo. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot more about it other than that. But I know it's going to be a lot better than uh, this body that I'm in right now. And so when he comes back, again, he's bringing them. They'll be resurrected, and we'll see in a minute. Those that are alive and remain will be caught up as well. 
And we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So in a twinkling of an eye, if you're here, you're going to go maybe from a bad knee to a glorious knee, just like that. You're going to go from maybe a big bald spot to a big booming head of hair. I don't know. I, I don't know. Or it'll be the opposite, you know. Um, but absolutely, you know what? It's going to happen as he says that it will. It's going to unfold in that manner. And we need to know these things. So notice as well here in verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So again, he's comforting them, and he's wanting them to comfort one another concerning their brothers and sisters in the Lord that had passed. And again, this was a, this was a young church, but it was a church that was being persecuted. And most likely it was a church that already had martyrs and so forth, and they were weeping. Listen, he's saying, be comforted. They're with the Lord, and when the Lord comes back, they're going to be resurrected and transformed, and then you write with them a split second behind them. There's going to be order in this. It's going to happen, you know what, according to the Scripture in an orderly manner. It's going to happen so fast, we won't even notice the order and so forth. But again, it's all coming uh, by the word of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. This is where we got to understand the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's a, it's a phrase that's really interchangeable. And when people start thinking of the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, they make a mistake when they think of it as a singular event. The word day in the scripture, listen, it could be a period of time or it can be a singular day. And the context always shares what it is. Some people try to say, well, to the Lord, a day is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. Therefore, the six-day creation may have been not only thousands of years, but millions and millions and millions and millions of years. But listen, in the context, in the context, it's an evening and a morning. And that's a singular day. In the context, it's he rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath. And that's used to teach us, again, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath's the day of rest. And again, it points us to Jesus, our daily rest. So absolutely, that's a 24-hour period of time according to the context of Scripture. We let Scripture interpret Scripture, not people that want to mix evolution into Scripture. No, it doesn't work that way, especially when the evidences really show when you look at the evidences in the earth through a young earth eyes, it all perfectly makes sense. The day of the Lord, though, according to Scripture, is a period of time. It's a series of events. It happens over a period of time. It's basically the Lord stepping in and ending up and wrapping up this dispensation and bringing in the next, the millennial rule of Christ, and then bringing in the new heaven and the new earth. It is a period of time. Notice Acts 3, 19 through 21. It says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I'll just, even though this isn't really what I'm aiming at right here, that's for the non-believer, and I also believe it's for the believer. Because I think there's times when followers of Christ get bogged down with sin, and it starts drying them up, and they need a refreshing from the Lord. Repent. If there's things you're holding on to this morning, lay them down. I think that's a word for someone here today, if not for multiple people. But he says here that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, notice here, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the beginning, since the world began. Notice here, the times of restoration. He doesn't say the time, but the times, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, a series of events. Now, I personally lean towards these events starting 
with the pre-trib rapture of the church. Now, not everyone leans to that. Some people say the Lord's coming back in the middle of the tribulation, which we'll talk about in a second. Now there's a, a new doctrine, pre-wrath rapture, uh, post-trib rapture, and so forth. But I would caution you, no matter what you believe in these things, what you believe won't change what actually is going to happen. And know this as well, the Lord said to always watch and always be ready. And I think it's a very, very dangerous place to be to say, well, I'm not looking for the coming of the Lord. I'm looking for the coming of the Antichrist. I'm looking for the tribulation. Because Jesus said to always watch and to always be ready. And take note of this as well. He can come with the bus at any time to take us all out. Here comes the bus. We all get on and a twinkling of an eye, we're changed. But notice this as well. He could also come with a taxi today just to get you. And so are you looking for his coming? Are you looking? Are you ready? Are you prepared? We don't want to be like those servants that said our master delays in his coming. And it says they begin to beat their fellow servants. They weren't abounding in brotherly love because they weren't abounding in the love of God. Now, I know some people say, well, you know, the pre-trib rapture is popular because it relieves people of the idea of going through the tribulation. Well, next week we are going to see that we are not appointed to wrath. And absolutely, the tribulation is a time of God pouring out wrath. But notice this as well. Listen, if we are here for part of this or whatever, I would rather have my eyes fixated on Jesus going into these things than my eyes not upon him thinking, well, he's going to delay in his coming because I knew this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I know the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And I know this as well, that the Lord talks about tribulation and persecution and an increasing amount of it even before the tribulation. I mean, there's over 200 million Christians in today in the world today under extreme persecution. Some losing their lives, losing their livelihood, being in prison and so forth. And in the West, we might not be under extreme persecution. There's an increasing amount of it, but I know what we are under. We're under extreme temptation. There isn't a persecution of our soul and our spirit. The problem is most people don't even recognize. They just go along with it. But God wants us to recognize that, and God wants us to resist it because whether you know it or not, we are in the midst of a great spiritual battle here in the West when it comes to Christianity, being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, wake us up to this truth. Can we say amen to that? Now, we'll see here in a minute that this term caught up in our text here is where we get our term rapture from. It's very biblical. This is a biblical event. We know that when the Lord comes for his church, we'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We know it happens in a twinkling of an eye. So in this event that happens in a split second, it's an event that happens in the air. It's an event where the church is caught up to meet the Lord. The second coming at the end of what's called the tribulation, a seven-year period that's going to come, it's an event that happens, you know what, over a series of time. It's an event where we come back with the Lord. It's an event where the Lord sets foot here on the earth. First of all, in Armageddon, where the armies of the world have gathered together, actually thinking they're going to fight God and defeat him. And, and I personally think that perhaps that's going to be in part of the mark of the beast. I think that perhaps that's going to be a singularity or an AI type event where men move from saying, I'm going to no longer be in the image of God. I want to be made in the image of the beast. I think it very well could be an altering of the DNA. And it talks about men worshiping the beast and the image of the beast. And if they're in the image of the beast, does that not line up with worshiping the God of their own belly? I mean, most people that don't follow Christ, you know who they worship? They worship themselves. 
regardless of how that unfolds, they're going to be gathered there thinking they're going to feed God. And the Bible says God's going to come down to Armageddon, and they are going to be slaughtered. But it also says in Isaiah, is it 63, he's going to go to Basra, which is the entrance of the rock city Petra, which we'll talk about here in a second, where I believe, many believe that Israel, a third of Israel will be preserved. We know they'll be preserved somewhere, but it makes sense if it's in Petra, he would go to the rock city or to Basra, the entrance of that, and take Israel with him. And then it says in Zechariah 14 that then he'll step foot on the Mount of Olives and they'll be split and the Lord will usher in the millennial rule of Christ for a thousand years. They're two different events that, again, are part of a series of events. We're also told in Luke 21, 34 to 36, to watch and be ready to pray where counted worthy to escape these things that will come on the earth. Luke 21, 34, but take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the cares of this life and the day come on you unexpectedly. And when we were talking about ignorance, willful ignorance of the coming of the Lord, scoffing and mocking, was it all not marked by carousing drunkenness and the cares of this life? They're driven by unrighteousness. They're driven by temporary pleasure. They're lover of pleasures, pleasure rather than lovers of God. So he says here, for it will come as a snare on those who dwell on the face of the old earth, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. So the Lord is saying, watch, be ready. It's coming at a time you don't expect. Listen, once the tribulation starts, we start getting a clock there and there's going to be an expectation of things happening. Even by people that come to Christ during the tribulation, come to endure the tribulation. He says, this is going to come at any time. Watch, always be looking that you're counted, pray you're counted worthy to escape. Now, listen, real quick, how can you be counted worthy to escape? Is it Jesus plus penance? Oh, Lord, you're my Savior, but count me worthy. Let me be one of the worthy people. Listen, there's only one thing that will make you worthy to escape. It's faith in Jesus Christ and him and him alone. That's it. If he's your Lord and Savior, if he's truly your Lord and Savior, when he comes back, you're going, whether you like it or not. And I think there'll be a lot of people who think that they're followers of Christ who aren't. And I, I think the bulk of them will get deceived by the Antichrist. I think they'll usher in the Antichrist. In fact, you see many of these people today pushing towards a one-world religion that say they're followers of Jesus. And that's a contradiction. Also, I'm not going to read the text this morning, but in Matthew 24, 36 through 44, there's a comparison of the days of Noah and the days of the coming of the Son of Man where Noah went in the ark, and then we know that the wrath of the flood came. And he said up to that point, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage things, whereas normal, Noah went in and the wrath came. Seems to indicate we're going to go up, that's going to come down. And this is where he also talks about two men in the field, one taken and one left. Two men at the millstone, one taken, one left. And again, we get the charge, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. We know from there... If you place the rapture at the beginning of the tribulation, that there is a seven-year period called Daniel's 70th week. In fact, Jesus said, if you want to understand end time sayings, you better be familiar with the book of Daniel. You got to be familiar with the Old Testament. You got to be familiar with the covenant that God made with Israel. And this is a big mistake that many people make when they start getting into end time sayings. They push Israel out. They don't take heed to the Lord's counsel to get familiar with the book of Daniel to understand the abomination 
that brings desolation. They don't get that in the book of Daniel 9, listen, at this point, Israel was in captivity, but a prophecy was made that they would come out of captivity back to Jerusalem. And once they were there, a decree would be issued to rebuild the city by the government that was in charge. And the Bible says from the day of that decree to rebuild Jerusalem till when the Messiah comes and is cut off, there'll be 483 years. And we know without a doubt, historically, from the time that decree was issued, from the time of the Passion Week when the Lord was crucified, according to the lunar calendar, there was actually, there was exactly 483 years, or 69 weeks, which is 69 periods of seven years. And then he says, at the end of the age, there'll be a last week or a last seven years where God, again, brings Israel to salvation. Israel, who for the most part rejected Christ in his first coming, except for a remnant. And God, though, again, Jews have been getting saved for the last 2,000 years as well, but open the door for Gentiles. It says that the fullness of the Gentiles, all Israel will be saved this last seven-year period. Listen, the tribulation is primarily about Israel coming to salvation. And there's so many people that don't even get this, and they say, well, the church is now Israel. No, the church has been grafted in, but God is going to be faithful to his covenant with Abraham and bring Israel into a place of salvation. The Bible speaks of an antichrist bringing a peace covenant. Look at the news today. Isn't everything about trying to get peace in the Middle East? Every president that has been president since I was born has tried to bring a peace treaty to the Middle East. Trump's talking about it. Obama talked about it before him. That's what everyone wants. That could be a feather in the cap. They say, boy, if we get peace in the Middle East, all this other stuff will fall into place. So this man's going to come projecting himself to be the Messiah. He's going to bring a peace covenant. We see that, that immediately it will start getting disrupted through uh, seal judgments, different events happening. And then at the middle of the tribulation, he's going to go into the temple that will be erected on the temple mount. And he's going to go and declare himself to be God. And the Israel is going to step back. He's going to bring a sacrifice that will be an abomin abomination. And they're going to say, this isn't the Messiah. This is when the mark of the beast gets instituted. This is when he goes after Israel to try to destroy her. Zechariah says two-thirds of the Jews will be saved. One-third will be preserved. And then at the second coming of Christ, when the church comes back with the Lord to do war with the armies of the earth, it says in Zechariah 13 and 14 speaks of this, they'll look on him whom they pierced and they'll long for Christ and all Israel will be saved and there will be the millennial rule of Jesus Christ. The white throne judgment and then after that, a new heaven and a new earth. It's a series of events, the coming of the Lord. And we need to be looking absolutely for the beginning of it. We need to be looking for the Lord coming for the church. That's the one thing he said to look for. Watch and be ready. The Lord's coming at a time that you don't no. Now listen, we see the table being set for all these things unfolding. Because the Lord said there would be things that would happen that lead up to the coming of the Lord, that lead up to the day of the Lord. Signs of the end of the age and signs of his second coming. Matthew 24 is one of the chapters that talks about this. The disciples asked the Lord, what will be the sign of the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming? The Lord said, first of all, make sure no one deceives you. In fact, more than anything else, he says, there'll be great deception in the world. Make sure you're not deceived. And listen, he's talking about not being deceived theologically, biblically. We're living in a world of great deception today as well, just practically. 
I mean, you see things on the news. There's events that happen. We never get to the bottom of it. We still know next to nothing about the whole thing that happened in Las Vegas recently. And yet, it seems like it was years ago, though, now, right? I mean, there's things you wonder, is it real or not? With all of the technologies and the ways of manipulating things and so forth, we are living in an age of great deception. And the Lord said, such would be the case. Make sure you're not deceived. How do you guard yourself against deception? Get God's word in your heart. Be a man or a woman of prayer. Test all things according to God's word, whether it's from this pulpit or in that bookstore or whatever you're hearing. Test it to God's word. Is this biblical? The Lord also said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. We see that all around us. It talks about, again, pestilence and earthquakes and lawlessness, the love of many growing cold. I mean, we live in a time of great pestilence. We have medical knowledge unlike any other time in the history of the world, and yet I can compare our day today to the day when I was a kid. Listen, when I was a kid, it seems the only people that got cancer was your grandpa who smoked for 50 years and worked with asbestos his whole life. And it's everywhere now. Pestilence running amok. Viruses and so forth taking people's lives. And the Lord said all this would be the signs. He calls it the birth pains. And it's a picture of these things happening faster and faster and faster. Bible talks about an increase in technology, an increase in knowledge, men traveling to and fro. And then it also talks about a great war that's going to happen. The Ezekiel 38-39 war, which, which I believe perhaps could coincide with the rapture of the church. And listen, the setup for this war is Russia and Iran or Persia and many of the other nations around Israel marching on Israel to try to destroy her, to try to take her wealth. Does anyone listen to the news today? Is that not where we sit? Listen, Israel has the biggest deposit of natural gas uh, in the world. They, they have resources. It's, it's amazing how many resources they have in a, in, a, in a nation the size of New Jersey. Their economy is booming. They're on the leading, you know, a cusp of technology and medical advances and everything else. And it's all because of the hand of God. It's all God regathering them as he said he would. God blessing them as he said he would. And then God eventually, through a great time of trouble, bringing them all to salvation as he said he would, showing his faithfulness to them and thus showing his faithfulness to us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said this war is going to unfold where Russia and Iran and these other nations are going to come against Israel. What's amazing is in Iran today, the biggest revival in the world is happening in Iran. They say a 1,000 plus people a day are getting born again in Iran. They say there's one to two million Christians in Iran today. You know the protests you're seeing on the streets right now? Those are driven much out of people coming to Christ. Them saying, we're done with Islam. We're tired of a 27% unemployment rate. We know Barack Obama gave you $1.5 million, billion dollars that was supposed to be put into our economy that's been spent on terrorism. We're done with this. And that's where some people are stepping and saying, well, how's this going to work then? Is Iran going to become a Christian nation? What's going to unfold here? Because this is like a wildfire. wildfire. And I know some people want to suppress it, but it is a wild, wildfire. I, I hear reports from people that are actually there, not from CNN. So listen, it, it, it's, un, it's actually unfolding. And, but you know how to get people unified real quick? You know how to stimulate an economy real quick or try to force the the uprising down? Go to war. To say, hey, we can stimulate this economy real quick. The Bible talks about them coming down to try to steal Israel's wealth. 
to steal their booty and so forth, to take what they have for themselves, yet it says God will intervene. And it could be even at that point where radical Islam is actually put down, where Palestinians who have refused to have any kind of peace agreement from the early 1900s till today, please educate yourself on this stuff. Don't listen to the lying social justice crazy warriors that know nothing of these things. That, got, that land's Israel's, and they've even tried to work a peace, but the other side's been resistant, but they'll enter into a peace accord. Because you know what Islam teaches when they're in a time of weakness? Try to find peace. Other than that, it's full-on jihad. Full-on jihad. That's what the Quran teaches. So again, we're on the cusp of these things. Now quickly here, Paul says this is all the word of the Lord. He says, I'm not making this up. This falls in line with the words of Jesus. John 14, 1 through 6, let not your heart be troubled. Again, is, the Lord, is Jesus your Lord today? Say amen to that. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So this is biblical. Jesus said, I'm coming back for you. And you got to know this as well, that the rapture and raptures are throughout the Bible. Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. Why? He was raptured. Elijah went up in a whirlwind to heaven. That's 2 Kings 2.11. Genesis 5.24 is Enoch. The Lord raptured him. Jesus himself, when he, was, when he ascended, it's the same phrase. Revelation 12.5, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. And Acts 8.39, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. And 2 Corinthians 12.4, Paul, probably talking about himself, says he was caught up into paradise. John in Revelation 4.1, probably a picture of the church. He saw heaven open up and a voice saying, come up here. I will show you the things that must take place after this. And even the two witnesses in the tribulation, Revelation 11.12, they were dead in the street three and a half days. The Lord resurrects them. And he says, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud. And their enemies saw them. This is not a foreign idea. Some people say, oh, the rapture. What? Yes, craziness. What are the Star Trek? Beam me up, Jesus. No, this is biblical. There's a biblical pattern here. It is no problem for God to say, come up here. And guess what? We're, we come up. We go. Notice quickly, verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout With the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, this is a trumpet that brings the end of the church age. It's a trumpet of glory. It's a trumpet that signifies an event that happens in a split second. The second coming of the Lord also comes with a trumpet, but it's a different trumpet. It is a trumpet of a woe. It is a trumpet of judgment. It's a trumpet that brings in an event over a series of time. Notice as well. He says, then those who are alive and remain. That could be you. It's not exciting. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now again, people say, I don't read the word rapture in the Bible, so there must be no rapture. Well, I've never read the word trinity in the Bible, yet there's a trinity in the Bible. The word caught up here, it means to seize, to catch away, to pluck, or to pull away. In the Greek, it is the word harpazo, in the Latin, it is the word raptus, and in the English, it is the word rapture. It means to be plucked away with violent force. 
And when the coming of the Lord comes, he is going to take away his church with violent force. And if Jesus is your Lord, you are going. And what you do not want it to be is you, like Lot, having your hands on this world and the Lord having to violently pull your hands off the world. You want it to be in a place where instead the Lord is pulling you violently away from the world that is trying to hold on to yourself. Which one will it be for you? If he's your Lord, you're going. Which one will it be? Which way will it be, I should say? And so again, he says from here, we will always be with the Lord. Again, this can happen at any time. We should always be looking. We should always be ready. Again, math, or Mark 13, 32, but that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. And later on, again, a few verses later, watch therefore, verse 37, watch. And so notice our last verse here. He says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so we want to start, therefore, I'm going to give you a quick list of some things. We've touched on most of this stuff. What do we do with all this? Don't be ignorant, he says. Know this stuff. Don't willfully forget this stuff. Don't be led by unrighteousness that you suppress the truth and sin. He says, know this, be aware of it. Therefore, do these things. It's not just about knowledge. Number one, comfort one another. I believe we're going to need this comfort if the Lord tarries more in his coming. Because there is an uprising spirit of Antichrist in our nation that is trying to come against truth. That is trying to come against the ordinances given by God to mankind at the beginning of creation. Things like one man and one woman and holy matrimony. Things like be fruitful and multiply versus terminating life i mean all of these things that god has put in place we see our world coming against and there is an uprising against the things of the lord and these people in thessalonica were greatly persecuted so he says comfort one another with these things those that know the lord that died are with the lord the lord's coming back he is our great hope so we need number one therefore let's be comforted let's have hope can we say amen to that secondly we need to get serious and watchful in our prayers, and absolutely, we need to have fervent love for one another. The context of this is about fervent love for each other. Notice First Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So number one, be comforted. Number two, be serious and watchful in your prayers and abound in love for one another. Number three, listen, be about the business of the Lord. Whose business are you about first and foremost? Again, Matthew 24, 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant who his master, when he comes, will find so doing. As surely I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. Are you about the business of the Lord? Number four, remember Lot's wife. It's Luke 17, 32. Listen, she died because that city had her heart. She had a form of godliness, but that city had her heart, and God had no place in her heart. She had a form of godliness because she rolled around with, with Lot, her husband, who was a righteous man, but she was not a true believer. We need to make sure, according to 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31, that though we buy... We don't live as if we possess. Make sure the things that you own don't own you. 
Make sure you understand all of it belongs to God. It's his goods. We're called to be stewards of it. And God has better goods for us when we go to be with him. Remember Lot's wife. Number five, know the hope of your call. Paul prayed this for those in Ephesus, Ephesians 1.18. He prays they would know the hope of their calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? It's like this, though this can't even begin to illustrate it. We're here on earth on Baltic Avenue, and heaven is around the board on boardwalk. Listen, we're like in a shabby waiting room here, thinking, oh, this, this seat's fairly comfortable and whatnot. They're going to bring us popcorn in a few minutes. And listen, the door is going to kick open, and we're going to go into glory with the Lord forever and ever and ever. Know the hope of your call. Again, does God bless us here? Absolutely, he does. Should we be thankful here? Absolutely. We're to give thanks without uh, ceasing. Should we be joyful? Absolutely. Does he give us things to enjoy? Absolutely. But he doesn't give us those things to worship. We're called to be tent dwellers. Know the hope of your calling. Two more things. Set your mind on and seek uh, those things that are above. Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life was hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Where's your mindset? And the things you're doing throughout the day, do you have a biblical mindset in it? An eternal mindset. And then lastly, we'll close with the first exhortation we got in this very chapter because it's in the context. We want to abound in the Lord more and more. We want to be abounding in him. We don't want to grow complacent. We don't want to get lukewarm. Again, like the thing I said earlier, well, I read the late great planet Earth in the 70s. Therefore, I don't have to abound. The Lord's not back, so he's not coming back. Listen, that's nonsense. The Lord's coming back and not on Hal Lindsey's timeline according to his. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. And I'm not, I'm not trying to dog that book. He says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. We want to abound more and more. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And listen, there's many, many more exhortations, but I ran out of room on my paper. But they're recorded in God's word. Let's stand up and close in worship of our Lord. And I hope, I hope this morning you're encouraged. I hope that these are comforting words from God's word for you. And um, absolutely, that... that we would take these things to heart and we would shun especially willful ignorance. That's a tragic thing when people want to be willfully ignorant of the word of God. Heavenly Father, we bless you again this morning. Lord, we thank you again that you are truthful, that your promises indeed are yes and amen. God, I marvel at how, Lord, these things are unfolding. God, I'm amazed on, uh, Lord, uh, on the world scene as, as God, this is just falling in place like a, like a puzzle and a convergence of events that all points to your return. Lord, I pray we won't grow hard-hearted in these things. I pray, God, that we won't, God, be influenced by deceivers and scoffers and mockers, but instead we would be influenced by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit, by those walking in and proclaiming truth. I just pray this morning, God, if there's just 
things we need to lay down. If there's believers here that are just bogged down with the cares of this life, maybe just bogged down with carousing as the scripture describes it, that those things will be laid down today. They'd be brought before you. There would be an honesty with you to say, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me to lay this down. Meet me where I'm at. And Lord, if there's any here today that don't know you, I would hope and pray they'd call on you today. Listen, if that's you, you're under the wrath of God, period. The Lord didn't come to condemn the world because we're already condemned, but he came to save the world. The Lord wants to bring you into grace. The Lord wants to bring you into salvation. But you need to humble your heart and truly ask Jesus to be your Lord, which means you are turning from being your own Lord. And you're saying, Jesus, I want you to govern my life. I want you to direct my life. I want you to rule over my life according to your word and the spirit of God. I lay it down before you. You call upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And indeed, listen, he'll save you today. He'll save you right now. He'll wash you. He will cleanse you. He will meet you where you're at. And so I cannot urge and exhort and encourage you enough if that's you to call on him. Because he stands ready. Again, whoever. That means anybody, whoever, no matter what you've done, what you've been involved with, you come to him in humility and meekness and brokenness. You call on him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He ready, he's ready to meet you where you're at. And so we bless you. We praise you. Let's worship the Lord as we uh, close right now. I am not skilled to understand.
today. I'm encouraged by that, especially when you're actually kind of in beat on All Fly Away. And I'm thinking, I, I was a rapper, and now I'm pastor in a country western church here. But come as you are, right? I know there's some homies in here today, too, and God bless the homies. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day in the Lord, and, and go be blessed with uh, food, and the altar's open here. God bless you.